This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9. Good morning. It's 7.06 a.m. on Friday, the 16th of February. You are listening to The Morning Run. I'm Shazana Mokhtar with Wong Shaoning. Now, in half an hour, we're going to be discussing recent developments in the Middle East, where the conflict shows no signs of de-escalating. In the meantime, let's kickstart the morning, as we always do, with a recap on how global markets closed overnight. Well, it was a brilliant day in the United States. Markets, at least the S&P 500 hit a new record high, up 0.9% to 5,029 points. Let it be known, on the, it's up already 5.5% on a year-to-date basis. S&P 5, oh, sorry, Dow is then up, sorry, what am I saying? S&P was up 0.6, Dow was up 0.9, and the Nasdaq was up 0.3%. Meanwhile, in Asia, Nikkei was up 1.2%, Hang Seng was up 0.4%. Shanghai Composite remains closed. So they will only reopen on the 19th of February. Singapore Straits Times had a really brilliant day, up 1.2%, while our very own FBM KLCI was actually down 0.06%, really not going anywhere. Zigging when everyone zags, as always. Uh, but for some thoughts on what's moving international markets, we have on the line with us this morning, Kingsley Jones, Chief Investment Officer at Jevons Global. Good morning, Kingsley, lovely to have you on a Friday rather than a Monday. Uh, let's uh, start off with looking at some of the U.S. Uh, stocks. The NYSE Fang Plus Index, which holds big tech names like Google and Meta, it's up a massive 13% over one month. Do you think the current valuations of those companies are still worth investing in or have they become overpriced? Well, of course, they're really reflecting that uh, big surge in revenue as companies around the world invest in AI tools and equipment, uh, particularly through cloud. So I think the question now is uh, how long will that continue? And it's a little bit tricky to pick that. Um, in, in our view, uh, you know, stocks like uh, NVIDIA, they'll probably continue to sell chips hand over fist. Um, but in terms of our own positioning, we've switched to some of the catch-up plays. You know, the recent results from Meta and Amazon were good. Of course, Meta uh, is got their Facebook business and others, but they've really powered ahead in open source AI through their Llama lang- large language model. This is uh, key because it set off a huge innovation wave. The main reason for that is is pretty simple. It costs about a million dollars to train one of those models, uh, even a simple one, and it can take weeks. Uh, However, once you have the model, and if it's been open source, so it's in the hands of developers, it only costs thousands of that to adapt it to a particular need. So we think that companies like Amazon and Meta that are really providing, if you will, the tools to be able to do that, they're going to have... um, a pretty good halo effect going forward. So we're continuing to invest in the AI, but moving our bets a little bit. Can I just check with you uh, with regards to how this market has rallied? Is it just sheer, just really down to AI or and a little bit of liquidity driving this? I, I think it's the enthusiasm for the next big thing, basically, as we've seen with all the CEOs, particularly such as Nadella, who was in early at Microsoft in investing in OpenAI. There's a lot of enthusiasm. Of course, it'll probably get overdone at some point, uh, and it's hard to judge exactly when that happens. But that's why we're looking at some of the uh, catch-up plays. Let's turn our attention to what's happening over in Australia because the Australia's jobless rate reached a two-year high of 4.1% recently. What's causing the employment rate to rise? And do you think this is going to factor into the RBA's thought process at their next meeting? We think it's a, a lagged effect of those uh, 
RBA interest raises, rate rises we had last year. And, and there is also some visible weakness uh, in areas like mining, uh, particularly in WA with the nickel uh, boom having faded, uh, and you're seeing layoffs. That's not a huge employer, but it does indicate that there'll be follow-on effects uh, across the economy. And these, in a way, are symptomatic of the weak conditions we have in China. Uh, beyond that, of course, Japan is uh, another big trading partner for Australia and just entered a technical recession. South Korea, which is our third biggest partner in trade, um, you know, they're holding up okay, but there are a few little headwinds there. So, uh, look, I think that the bottom line is that uh, whilst we always have a focus on the U.S. economy and the U.S. stock market, for Australia, what really matters is trade with our biggest trading partners, and that is not the U.S., uh, it is, uh, you know, in this order, China, Japan and South Korea. So as they travel, so will, so will Australia. And we think that actually probably these conditions are going to be a bit soggy for the rest of the year due to that weakness we see in our trading partners. OK, so what does this then mean for the Australian equity market then? Well, paradoxically, the Australian equity market might do a little bit better this year because it's dominated by financials, um, you know, the banks. Uh, also, resources are important, but uh, but we think that the majority of Australian revenue is coming through mining in iron ore, and that's okay. Um, but look, I think that the Australian equity market, this earnings season hasn't been too bad. Uh, you know, CBA, we think, is overvalued, uh, but we think the other banks are looking like they're reasonable value. And in fact, expectations might have been too negative on the banks. So what else would you buy? Um would you look at the commodity place, especially if China remains weak? I think commodities is pretty tricky right now because of that China weakness. You know, you've seen battery minerals come off a lot. The only really mm. bright spot in the commodities firmament is uh, uranium, and that's largely because uh, there's been pent up, um, you know, supply issues related to refueling existing reactors uh, in the West, especially. Uh, but also there's a very big pipeline of new reactor builds in China and, and also to a lesser extent in India and other parts of Asia. So uranium's looking good. Gold, we think, will uh, have a decent year, not necessarily a great year, but a decent year. Uh, but, you know, the other commodities, I, I think they're probably just going to go sideways. Can we turn to Japan? Japan slipped into a technical recession at the same time when the Nikkei 225 hit an all-time high. What do you think accounts for that disconnect between the bullishness of equity markets compared to the lack of positive sentiment in the real economy? I think a lot of that is liquidity because monetary conditions in Japan are still very accommodative. You'll note that the um, Bank of Japan has been talking about raising rates, but they haven't really you know, press the button. Now with this technical recession, they'll probably, um, you know, step back and, and just take a pause here. Uh, so I think that, you know, that's explaining the disconnect. We have to therefore be a bit selective, I think, going forward in Japanese equities. The ones that we like are the Sogososha, the trading houses, you know, uh, Mitsubishi, Marabini, Sumitomo, uh, and others like Itoshu, um, Mitsui. Um, and they are actually really... Uh, you know, operating globally for Japan, and uh, we think their profits will remain reasonably good. The other bright spot has been uh, Japanese exports of semiconductor equipment. Um, but elsewhere, I think you have to be a little bit cautious on Japan because of this recessionary condition. Okay, Kingsley, though, um, if I look at the Nikkei 225 chart, we are very, very close to the all-time high of 38,915 points that was hit in um, quite a long time ago. I think that was 1989, all the way back then. 
Uh, do you think the this market still has legs, even though you say you're cautious, as long as the yen remains weak? And as we know, it's it's like at 150 against the US dollar. I think that's what will drive it because that effectively that provides some stimulus via the monetary weakness that you see, um, uh, liquidity. Um, but but I do think you still have to be a bit selective. The, the one factor in the background with Japan is that there were those changes at the beginning of last year uh, from the stock exchange to encourage companies that were on low price to book values uh, to do something about that and, and you know, have some, uh, you know, uh, corporate restructuring or other measures. Um, I think that where valuation is compelling, you'll probably still see those stocks rise. I guess one of the areas we didn't mention that's interesting there is the Japanese utilities, and that's because a lot of them ha uh, have significant hydropower resource, uh, but they also have had a shuttered nuclear power plants that are coming back online. So you may see some value there. Uh, so I think you just need to be selective, but I don't think the index as a whole is going to collapse. It, I just think we're not going to see the same pace of development that we saw last year. Let's end uh, in Singapore, uh, Kingsley, where Singaporean banks like DBS and UOB had a stellar year in 2023, but uh, the prospect of falling rates is a threat to their NIM margins this year. Do you think their bottom lines will be impacted greatly or are financial stocks still a must-have investment in one's portfolio? I still think they're pretty defensive in Singapore for the reasons you mentioned. Um, but uh, I think the other factor, apart from those falling interest rates and the impact on margins, will be in their, the wealth effects and the wealth management businesses, which, of course, have been pretty strong over the years. I think the biggest factor there is that the Hong Kong market seems to be stabilising now, notwithstanding the weaker uh, stock index. What I'm referring to is the, Hong Kong's role as a financial centre. So the difference now versus before is that you used to have Western companies using Hong Kong as their you know, headquarters, but now you're seeing Chinese mainland companies start to move to Hong Kong as their headquarters uh, simply because of the situation with the onshore one or remember versus the offshore one and remember not being readily convertible and as you see chinese multinationals like byd and cattle the battery maker set up plants all over the world they need a place where it's easy to do convertibility of currency so i think hong kong's going to be a bit of a magnet now which is a reversal of the former position that benefits singapore mm. so that's the connection there but look, we think Singapore, it's Switzerland in Asia, it'll still do well. Um, and that's why we continue to hold uh, some of those banks. Kingsley, thanks as always for the chat. That was Kingsley Jones, Chief Investment Officer at Jevons Global, giving us his take on some of the trends that he sees moving markets in the days and weeks ahead. Uh, I think in Singapore front, uh, we should be watching out for the budget that's going to be uh, tabled today. So that's something that we'll be keeping an eye on um, in for Monday's show including our own GDP. As well as uh, indicators coming out of uh, Bank Nagara as well. Uh, let's turn our attention to some of the international corporate news that we're reading this morning. We do have earnings from Applied Materials. They are, of course, the world's largest semiconductor equipment company that supply to major players like Samsung Electronics and Intel. They reported their fir uh, fiscal first quarter results with revenue remaining flat on year at $6.7 billion US dollars. But despite that, the figure is above analyst estimates uh, and really is attributed to the AI boom that's keeping the tech rally afloat. Okay, so they've been rather positive in terms of outlook and why it's important is they're a good barometer in terms of how quickly the chip industry is actually going to bounce back. Uh, after all, their clients include the likes of Samsung Electronics, 
TSMC and Intel Corp. So good indicator of future demand. And the market which has actually been rather strong for them is China. It accounts for 45% of sales, which is which actually doubled to $3 billion. Their largest segment, however, semiconductor systems business saw declining sales, but gains in applied global services and display offset those declines. So this stock has done pretty well on a year-to-date basis already. I think market anticipated this. It's actually been up 16% on a year-to-date basis, better than the broader Nasdaq index, which is only up uh, actually 6%. Valuations actually in terms of tech, not that pricey when you think that NVIDIA trades about close to 50 times. This stock is trading at 24 times. Currently, the market still likes it. There are 24 buys, 14 holes, just one sell. Ironically, consensus target price is below the current share price, 174 US dollars and 24 cents. It closed at regular market hours at 189 US dollars and 66 cents. All right, it's 7:19 a.m. We're going to head into some messages, but we'll come back to cover more of the top stories in the newspapers and portals this morning. Stay tuned, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.